0: Hi, and welcome to the KC Praxis Teaching of the Week. We hope that you enjoyed this message from Liz to Paul. All right, for the rest of us, um, we are going to be continuing in our series in the book of Ephesians tonight. Um, but before we get there, there's something else that we're going to talk about that I find very important today, that the church around the world finds very important today. Today is the Sunday of Pentecost, where we celebrate um, the giving of the Holy Spirit to the followers of Jesus. As someone who grew up in the Lutheran Church, this was one of the celebrations or events that marked the calendar during the year. Um, And this is the reddest thing that I own. It's not that red. It's like the most maroon. It's close to red. It's as close as it gets. Um, And really, I have these vivid memories of the Sunday of Pentecost as being a day where everyone wore bright beat red. Um, there were certain liturgies, certain songs that were sung to celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit that's given to the church and to the followers of Jesus. So before we dive into Ephesians and while you guys are all sitting here, um, let's read part of Acts chapter 2 together because I find that just to be a really important thing to do today. And my hope is that by the end of all of this tonight that we would find a few ways that Acts 2 and Ephesians 2 work together To give us an identity as a church. Does that sound good to everyone? And just know that if it gets too warm in here, I'm going to start speaking really fast. So that way, we're just done quicker. And angel, I'm sure, will appreciate that with me. See? Yeah. All right. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them." So at this point in the story, Jesus had been crucified, buried, resurrected, and has ascended into heaven, leaving his disciples here on earth. And before he left, he promised them a helper, the Holy Spirit. And here we see that this promise is fulfilled. It says that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. There isn't a distinction between how much each person got, who got some, who got this, who got that, but it says that everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. And after this, everyone else who was there was super confused because these Galileans were speaking in different languages and and even it says later on that they thought they were drunk because these Galileans were uneducated. They shouldn't have been able to do these things, but here they were doing these amazing things. And Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, probably the most outspoken disciple, stands up and gives this beautiful sermon where he quotes Old Testament prophets and Psalms, and from that sermon, 3,000 people are added to the church. And the thing that's amazing about all of this to me is that Peter is a complete screw-up in the Gospels. If you remember last month, I walked us through John chapter 21, where Peter, who was one of Jesus' best friends, who swore to go to death for Jesus, denied even knowing him when Jesus needed him the most. And throughout the Gospels, Peter is the one who says and does the worst possible things at the worst possible times. But at the end of John 21, Jesus invites him and commissions him to be the leader of the church. And Jesus tells him that he's going to have to love and nurture, encourage, go after and care for the people of the church in ways that he will not feel qualified to do or that he will even want to do. And in the end, Jesus tells Peter that Peter is going to die because of his involvement in the church, because he follows Jesus. And here we are in Acts 2, and we see Peter giving the first major sermon ever. There's like two big sermons up to this point, right? There's the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew. And then we have Acts chapter 2. And we see the glimpse of this leadership that Jesus has promised Peter. And we get to see that the first call Jesus put on Peter's life which was that you won't be catching fish the rest of your life, you're going to be catching men, that this is being fulfilled right here. Pentecost is a celebration that everyone, from the most rich to the most poor, from those who seem to have it all together to the worst screw-ups in the world, are filled with the Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus and are given a place to belong in the family of God. And not only a place to belong, though, we don't get the luxury of just coming here twice a month, and singing songs together, but that God has a purpose and a plan for each of us. And with the Holy Spirit inside of us, the church is unstoppable. And at the end of Acts 2, we see this beautiful glimpse of what early church life was like. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, took and embraced the purpose and plan that God had for him, and from that the church was started. What would our world look like if believers everywhere did the same thing? What would it look like to be a group of believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who loved and cared for the community and the world around them? I think it would look revolutionary. And the world wouldn't know what to do, but that wouldn't stop us. So those are just some of my thoughts on Pentecost. We'll come back to some of those questions when we get to our practice time. So don't forget about them. Let them kind of rattle around in your head. Um, But for now, uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. A little bit of insight into Ephesians as we're turning there. Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Paul was a Jewish teacher in the temple, an expert in the law, who spent a good chunk of his life before knowing Jesus, killing Christians. Then he had an encounter with Jesus and everything changed. He went from killing Christians to being a missionary, a Christian missionary to the Jewish people. He went from being a sought-after teacher to being sought after to be killed because of the message of Jesus. And in fact, this is one of the prison letters that, that Paul writes. So most of the letter of Ephesians is about two subjects, power and identity. It describes the power God's Spirit gives us for living. It shows who we really are without Christ and who we become both individually and corporately or together as a church with Christ. It's about how we understand ourselves and how we get along with each other and with God. So with all those things in mind, Pentecost and on power and identity, um, let's read Ephesians 2, um, 1 through 10 together. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, I've been listening to the Bible in a Year podcast with Father Mike Schmitz every day this year, Um, and after almost every reading, Father Mike Schmitz says, oh man, what a gift. And I just can't help but feel that same way when reading this part of Ephesians. What a gift. What a gift to us both individually and as a church. The first section of Ephesians 2 really starts off with comparing who we were before Christ and who we are now in Christ. We were living in transgressions and sins versus living in good works prepared by God. Comparing this world to the heavenly realms, death versus life, sin nature or our flesh versus union with God, wrath versus mercy and salvation, nature versus grace, and finally that we are not saved by our works but we are completely saved by grace. It's one of the most vivid descriptions given by Paul of how we were before Christ. As we read over some of these things, death, wrath, sin, separation from God, this world, it is hopeless. And I don't know about you, but I have not turned the news on recently because it is all so sad. Mass shootings, conflicts between nations, politicians pointing fingers at one another, blaming each other. It's hopeless. It's dark. It's hard. It's heavy. And that's the feeling that Paul is giving us right here, that without Christ, that's who we are. We are lost. We are wandering around with no plan or path, letting ourselves get entangled in all of the wrong things, even though, and we even know that those wrong things are wrong, but we're letting ourselves do it anyway. And then comes one of the most beautiful phrases in all of the Bible, but because of his great love for us, God. When I was growing up, um, my church had a Awana Clubs. Does anyone know Awana Clubs? It was the midweek thing. I think it's still actually offered in a few churches. Awana, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what's kind of the big thing that they do is the memorizing of scripture. They really encourage it. You get little badges and patches and all the things. And every week, the leader at my church would start us out with the same question. He would say, in the beginning, and we would have to fill in. The rest of this so we would say in the beginning and we would all say god created the heavens and the earth and he said no try again and we sat all sat there going okay and he said in the beginning and we all would say god created the heavens and the earth and he went no try again because his point was in the beginning god in the beginning god and it's so easy for us to try to move past that his point was that even though the earth was formless and void, God was still present. God was still working. God had a plan and a purpose for it all. And for some reason, we as humans always want to move on to the things that God has done or is doing instead of resting in the fact that God is. And God is always with us. So from Genesis 1-1 to where we are in Ephesians to where... You know where we will go in in Revelation, God has never left us alone. And this is one of the big points of Ephesians. And Paul goes back to it regularly, that God is doing something so much bigger, so much greater, so much grander in this world than we can even imagine. And for some reason, he chooses to use us to do it. We were lost in ourselves and in the things that entice us. But because of his great love for us, God who was rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. That phrase is so important that Paul repeats it in the very next part. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. As followers of Jesus, who have been saved by grace and are filled with the Holy Spirit, which was given to us at Pentecost, are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which are already planned for us to do. And one translation even says that we would walk in those, in those good works. Do you see how radical this is compared to the rest of the world? Do you see how because of this grace, this undeserved gift, we now have a plan and a purpose? And do you see that as masterpieces created by God, we are to be doing these good works for the whole world to see in order to point them back to God? Let's read the next section of Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly, you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. It would be an interesting thing for us to go back while we're still early in this study of Ephesians um, to go back and underline or circle all the times that the phrase "in Him" or "in Christ" or "in God" or some variation of that phrase is used, because it happens a lot. This is Paul's point: is that nothing that we do without Jesus is worth it. Everything we do aside from God is is worthless. In this section itself, it's used three times in the translation that I use and I'm sure in other translations it's used a little bit more. Nothing we can possibly do or say means anything unless we do or say it through Christ. And it's in him that everything makes sense and comes together. In the beginning verses, we again see a division between people. The division is between Gentiles and Jews. At the time, Gentiles were considered unclean and outside of the family of God. Earlier this year, when we went through the book of Genesis, we learned about a man named Abraham. And there's a rather catchy song that goes along with a lot of UBSs about Abraham and his many, many sons. Abraham was the father of Isaac, who was the father of Jacob, who, had the, who was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the people of Israel, or the Jews, were God's chosen people. Haha, the air conditioner kicked on. <laughs> God blessed them, God guided them, and God loved them. And now through Jesus... Jews and Gentiles are welcomed into that family. That was God's plan all along, that the world would be united into a new type of culture where people were filled with the Holy Spirit and sent out into the world to be part of the reconciling everything back to God. But at this point, when Paul is writing this letter, there's still confusion, right, over who is included and who is not. And as I read this, I couldn't help but think that maybe Paul, was trying to make a different point. Maybe the point isn't who is in and who is out. Maybe the point is that it's not up to you and me to decide who's in and out. Maybe it's up to us to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, to follow the plan and purpose that God has for us and let God do the rest. And maybe it's not up to us at all. And finally, we get to this last section of verses 19 through 22, which is probably in my top five favorite passages of scripture. Throughout the Bible, we have these different images of God dwelling among his people. In Genesis, we see a picture of God walking through the garden with Adam and Eve. In Exodus, God is a cloud by day and fire by night leading his people through the desert. Eventually, in the Old Testament, there's a tabernacle and a temple, the place, the physical place where, Jesus, or where God was going to dwell with his people. And then we have Jesus who comes in flesh and blood and moved, moved among us, who lived with us. It has been God's desire to live and dwell among us from the very beginning. And in these verses, we once again see that God's desire is to be with his people. The temple that Paul is describing is a little different than maybe what was to be expected. The purpose of the physical temple in Jerusalem was to show that God had taken up residence with his people. The New Testament emphasizes the replacement of this temple, this physical temple, with people, with Christ and his followers. Jesus is now the cornerstone, meaning it would withstand anything that would come against it. The foundations were the apostles and the prophets, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, followers of Jesus who have gone before us. And we, you and I, are being fitted into this new temple where God is dwelling. Christ brought us home to God. We live in God's house as members of his family, and at the same time, God is living within us. We belong with God and are involved in what he is doing. The other people in the house are family with us. The home defines us. Christ has given us a place in this world, and from that sense of belonging, we become a growing, there's a growing ability to relate and accomplish the tasks in which we are called. These verses urge us to remember where our home is, and our home is with God. In 2012, which feels like A lifetime ago because i realized while i was writing this that was 10 years ago Um, i went on vacation to the east coast to visit a friend of mine i was in the middle of the most turbulent year of ministry i have ever had ever been into up to that point Um, i wasn't sure who i was i wasn't sure what i was doing or if i even wanted to be a part of this thing called church or jesus i was ready to walk away from it all and i was in ministry ready to like leave leave it all Everything that I had come to believe was literally crashing down around me. I had lost friends, I had lost mentors, I had lost everything. Um, And this friend of mine was living in Connecticut and she had invited me to come out um, to go explore the East Coast with her for about a week. And it always, as someone from California, it always surprises me when you can drive for like two hours and get to like three different states. Because in California, you drive for two hours you're still, in, you're still in California. You're still here. There's no getting out of here. Um, so we had gone to Boston. She, we like left her house and we got to Boston really pretty quickly. And without telling me, she had bought tickets to a Hillsong concert. And again, I was not really in the mood to go because I was like, church stuff right now is just like, a, it's not what I want to do. But we went because she had bought these tickets. And they read Ephesians 2, 19 through 20 but they used the message translation, and it just grabbed my heart in a new way. And I actually read this at our leadership meeting earlier this week, because it just has has a different language. And Ephesians 2, 19 through 20 is a section of scripture that I know really well, but hearing it with new language, I don't know, it just brought something new to me. So I'm gonna invite you um, tonight, while I read this, I'm gonna read it for us in the message translation. Maybe just close your eyes, Take a deep breath, exhale. If you're like me, you need to lower your shoulders, not be so tense. Um, That's how I am. And really just let these words kind of wash over you, and maybe there'll be something that sticks out to you new tonight. This is what it says. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using this all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. And now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. And as I've been thinking about world events over the last year, home is really being redefined all over the world. Last August, we watched as Afghanistan was taken over and millions of people fled their homes for their lives. We remember those images of babies being handed over walls and crowds chasing after airplanes desperate to find a new place to belong. More recently, we have all that's going on in Ukraine and so many homes that have been devastated by the war. There's a video actually um, that, I don't know if we shared it, I don't know which group of mine shared it, of someone who actually made it back to their flat, and there was a piano, and they sat there and played this beautiful piece of classical music with walls missing and rubble all over everything. Where I, there were families that I work with, you know, family members have been sent back to their home country for various regions, reasons, but it leaves the question of where do I belong? I think that's something that the world is asking. Where do we belong? My home is gone. My people are gone. Where do I belong? And I love this part because it's very clear that you belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anybody. God is building a home. He's using all of us irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. And as I look around this room, there are stories that I know really well. I know exactly how you guys ended up here. And there are others that I have no idea why you walked in the door tonight. But that doesn't matter because you belong here. God is using us all to create a place and a space where people can come and find him and a place where they belong. And that's the message of Pentecost. God's people are now filled with his spirit to go out and do the things that he has planned for them. They belong together. You're no longer alone, but you belong here. I don't know what the future holds but I do know that God has created you with a plan and a purpose and that you belong here. We hope that you enjoyed this week's teaching. To connect with us and for more resources, you can find us on social media as Praxis, or email us at kcpraxis at 180lodi.org.